Amen. I love that new song. I don't know about you. Hope that you do. So you're going to get a chance to sing it again here in a little while after we share this message this morning about the new heaven and the new earth. I wonder this morning, though, if any of you have ever been somewhere that didn't live up to the hype. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe it was a restaurant, someone recommended it to you, and you left the table feeling underwhelmed, to say the least. Or someone told you, right, you've got to go to this place or to that place, visit this destination because it's going to change your life. And when you left, all you could tell that it changed about your life was you had less money and less vacation time than when you went, right? Things don't always live up to the hype, and none of us like to be disappointed. Nobody likes to walk away from an experience saying that just wasn't worth it, or I'm sure glad that is over. We'd much rather walk away saying, you know, I wish I'd had more time, or I wish I could have enjoyed something else or tried something else. And the first reaction, that's the classic definition of over-promising and under-delivering, but what we're really after is just enjoying the glory of expectations that are exceeded. One of those things, it says at the end of the day, you know, we, we leave a place or we leave something new and experience and we say, well, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad to be home. But when expectations are exceeded, we say, it's good to be home, but man, I can't wait to go back and do that again. Next time, I want to try something a little bit different. I don't know which of those best fits your reaction to this summer vacation series that we've been on. Maybe it's kind of varied week to week, depending on the message and depending on the messenger. But what I do know is that the place we're going this morning isn't going to disappoint. And if our visit there this morning is disappointing, then it might be bad preaching or maybe bad listening. Probably the preaching, though, let's be honest. But it isn't the place that we're visiting this morning because the place we're visiting this morning will never disappoint. It's a place that will never grow old, a place that will be just as satisfying on the quadrillionth day we're there as the first day. We started our journey this summer. We started in a place that God prepared for us, the Garden of Eden. And we said that that was a place that was a place of God's presence and provision and purpose and promise. It was a place where Adam and Eve had all that they needed in the presence of God, but in their desire for something different, the perfection of that place was disrupted. And so here we are today in a place that's much different from that. Perfect is not the way that we would describe the life that we live, this world in which we live. It's a place much more like those that we've experienced along the way the rest of this summer, a place where God's call on our lives, maybe like in the life of Moses, has been abandoned, but then redeemed and confirmed. It can be a place in this life where we know that God has placed us here just as he did the exiles in Babylon to live on mission for God, trusting that his plans always succeed even when we don't see how they'll work out. This life, it can be a place that is at the same time not as bad as we think or worse than we think, but All of that doesn't matter what we think because ultimately what matters as we walk through this life is that our God is able to see us through whatever it is that we face. And he's able to change our circumstances as he did in the valley of dry bones as Ezekiel saw the vision there. This life can be a place of difficulties, but our God is always with us. He always keeps his promises. And so last week as we went to the city of Athens, we saw a place where we're called to engage the culture around us with the grace and the truth of Jesus, no matter the response that we receive. 
Because of the sin and brokenness that shapes our lives and our world, this world, it can be a place where at some point it's just all too much. But the place we're going to this morning is never like that, will never be like that. And so if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I invite you to open it with me to Revelation chapter 21 as we go this morning to the end of the story, the end of our summer vacation, the new heaven and the new earth. In his gospel, John recorded words of Jesus that we've quoted often throughout this series as we move from place to place. John 14, 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What we saw in Genesis was that God prepares a place for us. What we saw in Athens last week was that God determines the times and places of our dwelling places on this earth. But Revelation 21 and 22 point us to a promise and a place that we've yet to fully experience, one that we can glimpse through the eyes of John this morning, but we will see one day with our own eyes. Jesus is preparing a new place for us. This is a place that even as we visited this morning, we aren't able to fully get our minds around it. We aren't going to be able to see it all. In fact, when we've been there 10,000 years, as the hymn says, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 30 minutes is not enough this morning for us to do this passage and this place justice. But when we've had 30 million years to explore the new heaven and the new earth, we'll still have just scratched the surface of God's glory and his goodness to us. And so let's get started though this morning in the time that we have together. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse one, John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is preparing a new place for us. And the first defining feature of that place this morning that we see is that it is a place of presence. A place of presence. I wonder this morning if you ever heard somebody say about someone else, well, that person, they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. People say that to mean that somebody, you know, they're just so focused on heaven. They're so focused on the fact that everything's going to be right in the end, right? They just completely don't take any responsibility to try to work to show God's love to others in tangible ways, to try to make this world a better place in which to live or a community a better place in which to live. Being so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good is not a compliment. But in saying that, I think we tend to misidentify what's really the problem. The problem is not that we are too heavenly minded. It's not that our thinking is too heavily influenced by the presence of God and the mind of Christ. If someone is too heavenly minded, that they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good, the problem is that our view of heaven is wrong, not that we're too focused on what heaven actually is. Because when we picture the heaven that awaits us, often we picture it as this kind of cartoon version of 
what heaven might be like. Do we not? I mean, and for good reason, we've never seen it. How else are we going to know what it's like? But we get this picture here that is different from the way we often think of heaven or the way maybe it's depicted in cartoons or in movies or in our minds. The heaven that we often think of doesn't hold up under the weight of this world. In a life that's marked by sin and suffering and sickness and death, a heaven that is just people floating around on clouds from cloud to cloud, that's hardly a place at all. It's more of an imaginary escape. And so when we think of heaven, we kind of tend to, I think, sell it short. We don't see it in the imagery that John paints it with here in Revelation 21. Because heaven, the defining feature of heaven, is not the fact that we are there. It is a place of presence, and we will be there with Jesus. But what makes heaven heaven is that God is there. It's his presence. The new heaven and the new earth that John saw wasn't a place that was defined by our going there, but by its coming here. The first heaven and the first earth that passed away, it says, along with the sea, and, and the sea in apocalyptic literature like this in Revelation or in the book of Daniel, it represents the chaos and rebellion of creation against the glorious design of the creator. And so this is a place that John is describing here, that John is seeing where God's design will be realized perfectly. There's no more chaos, no more rebellion. John sees this holy city coming down from God. He says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's this description here of ultimate beauty and worth It's a description of a real place, a physical place that takes the place of this world where we now stand and sit this morning. It's a place that is defined as Eden was by the presence of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. But this place will be one where sadness and sickness and sin and death will neither be future tense nor present tense, but past tense. And so to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good is to completely misunderstand what John sees in just the first four verses of Revelation 21 because this is a vision of the new place Jesus is preparing for us that is defined by the presence of God. And when John received this revelation at a time when early Christians were being persecuted, they were marginalized for their faith in Jesus. And so they didn't need, and we don't need, a vision of heaven that does us no good in this life that we're in right now. They needed what we need in the face of sin, sadness, sickness, and death today, hope and faith to endure and to trust in Jesus. And that's what Revelation is about. It's not about us trying to be God and us trying to figure out all the answers. That was the story of Genesis 3. That was the story of Adam and Eve trying to take the place of God. Revelation is not about that. It's about the victory that Jesus has secured for his people, victory over sin, the victory that we will experience in the physical reality of a new heaven and a new earth if we trust in Jesus. Alan Ross is a theologian who, in a book about worship that he wrote, writes these words. He wrote, the dwelling of God with his people began in the garden, was interrupted by sin, continued in the Old Testament sanctuary, found full expression in the incarnation, and now is with his people in the spirit by faith and not sight. In the coming age, the people of God will behold him in glory. This direct, unmarred communi- communion with, between God and his people is the goal of all redemption, the motivation for our perseverance, and the focus of our worship. 
It's the motivation for our perseverance and the focus of our worship. If the hope of heaven doesn't cause us to do good and doesn't do us good in our spirits this morning, then our view of heaven isn't the one that John had. In this time of place where tears flow and death reigns, Jesus is preparing a place where God will dwell with his people, where mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Those things might define this age in which we live now, but when the new place Jesus is preparing for us comes down, their time will be up. And those who are in Christ will be exactly where we were created to be, in the uninterrupted, unfiltered, and unencumbered presence of our God. That will matter then, but it also matters for us today. John continues to describe what he saw in verse 5. He says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus is preparing a new place for us. It is a place of presence. Second, though we see, it is also a place of provision. John sees and hears the one on the throne saying, behold, I'm making all things new. This place that Jesus is preparing for is this one where God continues and sustains the work that he is doing in your life today. With these words here, echoing Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then Jesus, we see as instructions for John, which I'll paraphrase as you're going to want to get your pen ready. You're going to want to write this down. And here's what he has to say. He says, God is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator who existed before all things and the king who will reign forever and ever. Right? But there's something else that he says before those things that I just said, maybe the most important part of his message. The very first word he speaks there after he says, you might want to write this down, and that is, it is done. Here's Jesus saying, it is done, counting on John to recognize his voice and I think to remember his words from the cross where God's wrath has been satisfied and sin's debt has been paid in full. And Jesus cried out, it is finished. And it's through the finished work of Jesus on the cross that God offers to all who are thirsty, to any of us who will confess our need for him, he offers the free gift of eternal life. It flows from a spring that will never run dry, a spring that is completely free, at least us. Jesus has paid the penalty. He's paid the debt. He's paid the price in full. This new place Jesus is preparing is a place of provision, a place where our greatest need, the removal of our sin and our reconciliation with God is met beyond what we ever would have imagined. The one who conquers That's the one who believes in Jesus and holds fast to him, who holds fast to us. The one who conquers will find a new place where the fatherly provision of God is our heritage. It says, I will be his God and he will be my son. Already said, we don't have time to dive into everything that John is showing us or that John saw here in this passage this morning. But I do want to quickly show you something about verse 7 and the one who conquers 
as were described there. This morning, if we'd started from the beginning of John's revelation of Jesus, then we would have read these verses in chapter 2 of Revelation about the one who conquers. Words like Revelation 2.7 that says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God's provision for us. Verse 11 in Revelation chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. God provides for his people. And then verse 17 in Revelation 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In a world marred by sin, And the unjust systems that are born as a result of our sin, scarcity can be the painful reality in this life, but it won't be in the place where we are going, not in the new heaven and the new earth. This is the place of provision where every need we have, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, will be provided for perfectly by a loving father who has sent his son to show his love to us and to invite us into his inheritance, a place of perfect provision. Verse 8 recognizes that this provision is not one, though, not one that each and every one of us, that all of us will experience. It's one where, though, we're all invited We're all invited in. We're all invited to enjoy this place through faith in Jesus. This is a place that Jesus is preparing for. He's a place where he will provide for us. Question this morning, though, as we look at verse 8, it says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we think about the new heaven and the new earth, a place of God's presence, a place of God's provision. The question for us this morning is, is it a place that Jesus is preparing for us? Is it a place where we are going? Is it an inheritance that we are going to receive? Are we going to place our faith in Jesus and trust in him? John continues to describe, going down to verse 22. He writes these words. He says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord, the God, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus is preparing a new place for us. It's a place of presence, provision. And third, we see it as a place of purpose. 
It's a place of purpose. We skipped over this morning reading verses 9 through 21. What we find there is this description of the materials and dimensions and instructions that sounds a whole lot like the descriptions that we read in the book of Exodus as God instructed Moses and the people there on how to build the tabernacle. There in Exodus, God wanted his people to know that he would never leave them or forsake them. See, his purpose in creation was that he would dwell with his people. And that will be his purpose in the new creation, in the new heaven and the new earth, that he will be with his people for his glory and for our good, for the praise of his name. As John describes the new Jerusalem, its walls, its gates, its dimensions, we see it's a perfect cube. He's making this connection between the Holy of Holies and the Old Testament, which was also a perfect cube, which was the place where God's presence would reside among his people. But with all these echoes and similarities that we see John seeing and hearing and recording for us between this place and between the tabernacle and the temple, but there's a glaring difference here in the new heaven and the new earth. The presence of God here that John saw was not mediated behind a curtain in the holy place. It wasn't accessible only to a few priests. It wasn't accessible only through the sacrifice of animals. In the new heaven and the new earth, the entire city is the holy place of God's presence. The radiance of God's glory isn't veiled, but it shines so brightly in this place that all the nations of the world walk by it, and the kings, they bring their glory into it. And so John is seeing us a place here. He's showing us this place where the beauty in every nation and every culture is pointing us to the same purpose, the glory and praise of God. There won't be anything else there. There won't be anything else happening there. Nothing detestable, nothing false, nothing that goes against the plan and purpose of God. Jesus is preparing a new place for us where his glory and our good are experienced perfectly. That means the reverse of the curse of Genesis 3. It means the removal of everything that goes against God's good purpose. It means the light of God's glory shines so brightly that everyone will see God for who he is ourselves for who we are, and we'll see one another as we are. You may remember in Exodus that Moses was not able to look on God's face and live. He wasn't able to look upon the glory of God. But the new heaven and the new earth will be a place where God's people will see him face to face. And Christian, this morning, when you see his face, you're not going to see a disappointed glare You're not going to see an angry scowl. You're going to find yourself not in the shadow of sin, but you're going to find yourself standing and walking in the presence of God, face to face with a God who loves you, a God who created you for a purpose and for a reason that he would be able to dwell with you and walk with you in relationship with you because he loves you. That's the place Jesus is preparing for us. So Revelation concludes, Revelation 22, verse 6. John says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. 
I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Jesus is preparing a new place for us, a place of provision, presence, purpose, and finally, a place of promise. John saw it coming down from God, and through the power of God's Spirit and His Word, we can look at Revelation 21 and 22 and see it this morning. But like us today, John was not there yet. So we think about summer vacations. You've probably all been at that point on the trip, maybe after several hours in the car where you heard a voice from the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the question just continued to come because the anticipation of the destination is what fuels us on the journey. And if that's true on an eight-hour car ride to the beach, then how much more true is it on our journey through this life? Sin, sickness, injustice, broken relationships, all of it has a way, even more so than cramped legs on a long road trip of making us wonder, are we there yet? The first century Christians had to wonder when the pressures of persecution mounted up and the pain was more than they could stand, are we there yet? And some of us have wondered, maybe when the diagnosis came or when the battle raged in your life, you've wondered, are we there yet? And Jesus speaks a word to John here that we need to hear in those moments. Are we there yet? To that question, Jesus responds by redirecting our focus. We've already seen that heaven isn't defined by where we are, but where he is. And so three times Jesus makes a promise to John and to us that answer that question. First in verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We aren't there yet, and at times it might seem like we aren't going to get there, but our hope isn't in our getting to God, but our hope is in God coming to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us that he is coming again. So he says, keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Do what I've told you to do. Trust me, follow me, live for me. Verse 11 shows us here that 
everybody's going to keep doing what they're doing. There will still be evil. There will still be righteousness in this world in which we live. But he says, hold on, stay the course, don't let go, because Jesus is coming soon. Verse 12, the same promise, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. We look around like the psalmist sometimes and we wonder, don't we, is God seeing this? Is he seeing what's happening? Is he going to do anything? Will the injustices of racism and greed go on forever? Will the suffering that we see around us, will it ever come to an end? And maybe we're tempted to give up, but Jesus says, I am coming soon to repay each one for what he has done. We aren't there yet, but when Jesus comes, he says it will all be made right. Every evil and injustice celebrated today will receive its reward then. Jesus is coming soon. That's the promise of the new place he's preparing for us. The question isn't if he's coming. God's promises are sure. He's never failed to keep one. Jesus is coming. The question is when he comes, Will he be coming for you? I can't answer that question for you this morning, but I can tell you this. You've been invited to this new place that Jesus is preparing for us. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The Holy Spirit is inviting you this morning. This church, we are here inviting you this morning, saying, come. The invitation of Revelation 22 is our invitation this morning. Come to Jesus and experience the place that he is preparing for you, a place of his presence where sin, sickness, sadness, and death will hold no power, a place of his provision where sin is forgiven and the water of life flows freely, a place of his purpose where God's glory and our good will never again be marred by sin. It's a place that we aren't there yet, but the promise of Jesus resounds a third time in verse 20. He says, surely I am coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. This morning, though, I ask you, will you come to him today? In a crowd this size, there are some here who, by God's grace, you've seen your need for Jesus and you came to him maybe a long time ago, repenting of your sin, placing your faith in Jesus, walking with him. Our baptism that we celebrated earlier points to that reality that Jesus died for our sins and was raised again to give us victory. That's what we celebrate. That's the way in which we come into the new life that Jesus offers us, the way that we receive the hope that Jesus is showing to John and showing to us here in Revelation 21 and 22. If you've already given your life to Jesus this morning, then this morning your spirit cries out to those around you who have never come to faith in Jesus with the same invitation that you've received. But this morning, if you've never turned to Jesus and given him your life and placed your faith in him, then the invitation today is clear. Come. Not come to church or not come to me. Invitation is to come to Jesus because he came to you first. He stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's defeated sin and death. And he's gone to prepare a new place for you. And he is coming again soon. And when he comes, I pray that We'll hear our voices saying with John 
and every Christian through the ages. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that you are, Lord, that Jesus is there preparing a new place for us. God, we thank you for the vision of the new heaven and the new earth that you have recorded for us in Scripture. God, a place where mourning and pain are no more, where every tear will be wiped away, where, God, there's no need for even sun or for a lamp, God, because your glory shines so brightly, God, that there is no doubt, God, that you are who you say you are, that you are the creator of all things. You are the only one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise, God. And so this morning we ask that you would help us to see in our lives and in our spirits, God, that you would take these words from Revelation 21 and 22, that you would help us to just understand, Lord, this morning, the place that you're preparing for us, God, that you would help it to be an encouragement to us as we walk through difficult days, maybe this day, Lord, or maybe days ahead. God, but whatever it is, whenever it is, God, when we face trials and pain and sickness in this life, Lord, where we're tempted by sin, God, we pray that you would bring to mind in our lives the vision of the place Jesus is preparing for us, a place that is worth worthy of our faith in this moment, God, worthy of our obedience, of our lives. God, may our lives be lived for the purpose, same purpose now for which we will live in all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, Lord. May we live for for your glory and may we give our lives in service, Lord, to you and for the good of those around us. And God, this morning, as you invite, God, if we've never, there's one here who's never placed their faith in you, never come to Jesus in faith, God, I pray that you would, this morning, draw them to yourself. God, would you move in this place this morning, and may we respond today as you would lead us to, as you would direct us to, God. And may we say today, come Lord Jesus. Come to bring the place that you're preparing for us, Lord. The promises that you have for us, Lord. And God, yet even as we, we cry out to you, come Lord Jesus, God, we pray, God, that others even in this moment today would come to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.